Hey, everyone. Oh, my gosh. You're going to love this episode with my friend, Michelle Rogers. Michelle is a Canadian. She is a mom. She is a wife. She runs an enormous multi-million dollar online health and wellness franchise. And today she's going to talk to us about parenting with love and logic. Michelle is a blended family mama with six kids ranging from 10 to 18. She's been using love and logic for the last four years, and she's noticed a huge transformation in her children's demeanor and their behavior. Her kids promote the parenting technique to other parents and even to their own friends because they've noticed such an improvement in the culture of their home since starting love and logic. Believe it or not, Michelle will explain today how her kids actually listen to instructions and contribute to the household responsibilities without any resistance. Are you ready for this? Here's Michelle Rogers. There is nothing more inspiring than a woman being unapologetically herself. The answers are all in your heart. She's waiting, she's waiting, she's waiting for you to set her free. Welcome to BU Podcast. I'm Jill Herman and I am so glad you're here. I was broke, insecure, and craved approval. But with grit, hustle, and sacrifice, I still built a successful multi-million dollar business. 10 years in, burnout, I slowed down and looked inward. In that silence, I discovered that the same level of success could have come to me with much less effort and so much more joy. That's when I threw out the expectations of the world and chose to unbecome every single thing I thought I was supposed to be. And the real me was uncaged. It was far from easy. And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. Okay, so I am so thrilled to be here today with Michelle Rogers. And Michelle, you and I have been friends for quite some time. We used to work together and I am super happy to just to share you with the world but there is a topic that you have shared online and with me personally that for a long time I thought most parents, but even anyone, needs and deserves to know about and to learn about. And when I decided to have this podcast, I thought of you right away just because you're so amazing. But I also thought, oh my gosh, one thing Michelle can share is about love and logic and how this impacted her life and her parenting. So we'll just get right into it. If you would just introduce yourself to everyone and share how did you hear about this? What is it? And also maybe start off with what kind of family do you have? Okay. Thanks, Jill. Nice. So nice to be on your podcast. So I have a blended family. I have two children biologically that are my own. I have two children from my first marriage that are stepchildren and I have two children, stepchildren from my second marriage. So all together, there are six children and we all still gather together. We're very, I call us beautifully blended. We're very mosaic. And when we blended our families, although our kids really love each other, we noticed that it was like the energy of it all was chaotic. And so we really needed to kind of shift our parenting styles in order to just really kind of like bring it all together, I guess. Okay. And so when you say shift your parenting styles, because I also have a blended family, did you find, I'm assuming that you had a certain style, your partner who became your husband had a certain style and you had to blend those together and come up with something that worked for everybody. 
Yeah. So my husband is very, he's actually, what I find about men is they're more naturally logical parents than mothers are. So instead of being logical for me, I found that I was yelling. I wasn't being consistent. The kids, like when Kelly would say, Hey, like, let's get ready to go. His kids would pop up and run to the door. And my kids would be inevitably the ones that wanted to push the boundaries. And so not only that, but I had been talking to lots of different parents who had really amazing teenagers and had amazing experiences through the teenage years. And almost always, like three or four different times through these conversations, they would be like, oh, well, you need to read this book. It's called Parenting with Love and Logic. And that's how we parent our children. They would give me examples. And it just really resonated with me. But much like anything else, it wasn't until I hit a pain point with my own parenting style that I was like, okay, it's time to read this book. And once I read the book, what really got me was the beginning part of the book. And you're reading this book and he's a psychologist. And what he says is, I'm going to tell you a story. And this story honestly resonated. So I grew up in a small town and I'm going to tell you the story and you'll understand why it resonated with me. But he was going to go to a party. He was going to drive and use his parents' car. And then his parents said they were going to need the car. So please, could you go with a friend instead? And he instead said, okay, I'm not going to go. And went up to his room and said, you know, just left the conversation. And his dad right away knew something was wrong with that and went up and said, what's going on? Like, why won't you go with your friend, Randy? You guys are best friends. And he said, well, I'll be honest with you, dad. Randy's been drinking and driving and I just don't feel comfortable. And so it's okay. I'll go to a different party. I know you need the car. I'm not mad. I just, I don't feel safe. So this is a teenage boy making this decision. And it turns out in real life, because this is a true story, Randy rolled his vehicle that night from drinking and driving and killed everybody in it. And he would have died that night. And so later, this kid who was 17 at the time became a psychologist and started to really like pick apart the way his parents parented him in a way that he would, as a 17-year-old, have made that decision. And so I grew up in a small town. I've lost a lot of friends to drinking and driving. And I, it terrifies me for my own children. And I just thought, oh my God, like if it's that powerful, then I need to do this. Like that story, that was it. That's the beginning story. And I thought, I'm going to read this all the way through. And then for my children's sake and for our futures, I'm going to change my parenting style. So it was like this drastic moment (laughs) for me when I read that. And then it just became like, when I shifted into this parenting style, even my mom, my sister, my brother... They all said, what are you doing with the kids? Your kids are so much more calm. Their energy has shifted. They listen so well. They seem happier. And then I told them about this book and now I can't shut up about it. It's just like literally changed the culture of our entire family. There's no more yelling. People listen on the first request. Sometimes they slip back and I'll have to re-engage the technique, but it literally has been life-changing for us. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to get into it. Before we get into what Love & Logic is and parenting with love and logic. I just want to share with our listeners if any of you moms can relate. Now, first of all, I have had a really great time raising teenagers. I remember a lot of people talk about, oh, teenage girls and they're so emotional and they program you to believe that it's going to be awful. And we just have not had that experience at all. Having said that, though, I will tell you that I cannot uh, claim to, to, I can't claim what Michelle is experiencing. For example, if you can relate, I can't tell you how many times I've put things on the stairs for them to take to their rooms and I just watch them walk right by it, step right over it, walk right by it. 
And I'm so frustrated by that. And then I keep saying, do you notice what I have on the stairs? Do you see what I have on the stairs? Oh, yeah, sorry about that. Oh, yeah, sorry about that. Or saying, look, at least for me personally, you know, we all need to parent the way it makes sense best to us. For me personally, I would love to have their rooms immaculate. That would feel good to me. But I've realized that that's not how they want to live. And I've, my mother would disagree and a lot of people might disagree, but I'm actually now okay with them having their rooms messy. But I do have one rule and that is no food in the rooms. I don't want food. Not just like, you know, I've taken two bites of a candy bar and I'm going to have it later. Okay. I'm not really going to say anything about that, but I'm talking, Michelle, like a bowl of salsa on the bed. Things that are like gross, that would grow mold, that would spill everywhere and like (laughs) food. And I can't tell you the number of times I would find it after I said, we can't do that. And my one daughter would have all kinds of snacks that I, I don't want us to have in our house, in her room, which I get that because she's old enough that, you know, she can drive, et cetera. But when I say, okay, you need to take care of that. I don't want any more open food. She's such a good girl. Like, I, I hate to use that term, but you know, she's so respectful and such a great kid and doesn't give us any trouble, but yet we would keep seeing that over and over. And I would think of you because you've talked about parenting with love and logic, but I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll get to that one day. And I never read the book and I haven't done anything about it. So today I'm going to get educated. I think I have an idea of what it's about, but maybe share what it is. And then we could go back if we both remember to circle back to that example with my girls. And you can tell me if how I would apply that. But what is parenting with love and logic? Okay. So parenting with love and logic is truly letting your kids experience the logical consequences of their own choices on a daily basis. It's allowing them to have low cost consequences instead of high cost consequences when it's too late. So in that example with the boy who didn't die in the vehicle, that's because his parents all along allowed him to have low cost consequences. For example, no, I'm not wearing a coat outside. So we're talking younger kids here. I'm not wearing a coat today. I want to wear this. And the love and logic parent would say, okay, I want to tell you what the weather is. And then you can make your choice. And the love and logic parent would risk the judgment from all the other parents with their kid not being dressed properly for the weather in order for the kid to learn a low-cost logical consequence, like being cold outside. So that's one example. Or the other example would be kid comes home from the bus, has a fat lip or a black eye. And the love and logic parent will ask a lot of questions and almost always, unless it's bullying, but like if the child saw in this example, the child was beaking an older kid and basically got popped in the face. And the love and logic parent will not get involved. They will apply empathy. They will support their children through that experience and they will help them understand that that was a logical consequence, but they will not get involved and not phone the older child's mom because the younger child was beaking and getting in there. And so the non-love and logic parent, as you guys all know, probably lots of people are cringing with that example. Like what? That's bullying. Well, it's not bullying. If the child was asking for it and getting in there, they need to understand because the higher cost consequence will be one day at the bar, they're beaking somebody that's bigger than them and they will get curb stomped and possibly die. So you give them the opportunity with these low cost consequences when they're younger over and over and over again, so that when they get older and those high cost consequences come up, they immediately will be like, no, I'm not getting in the vehicle. No, I will not start a fight with that bigger guy. You know, no, I will not invest all of my money in this one thing that seems too good to be true. They don't have to experience the high cost consequences. So that's a little bit in a nutshell of those examples. Discipline wise, how it comes up in our house. So for example, say I've asked my daughter once or twice, I might do now, like, 
okay, if I pick up this stuff or it's time to shower or whatever, my kids notoriously did not listen before we started doing this. And I would have to raise my voice. And then when I raised my voice, they would. They weren't bad kids, but they just pushed the envelope over and over and over again. I was just tired of hearing myself repeat myself like that and inevitably get to yelling. And so how you apply love and logic with those kinds of things is you just simply tell them what you expect. So for example, I'll say to Ava, Ava, you'll need to shower and it needs to be done by nine. And so then she has all the control. And when she, she knows immediately when I'm giving her a timeline, that means I'm letting her experience her consequence. So there's a rare chance right now where she'll be like, no, nah, I'm not going to because I, maybe she needs a consequence. Maybe she needs to test me or whatever, but almost always she will. So if she doesn't and it becomes nine o'clock, I'm like, oh, okay, it's bedtime. She doesn't shower that night. Bedtime happens when it's meant to happen. And then later when she asks me for something that she needs or wants, I don't give her a discipline action or a consequence right then because the love and logic parent never has to know the right move. That's the best part of this. You don't have to have a plan. You don't need to, you know, like if you're the parent that's like, oh my God, you didn't get in the shower and I told you nine o'clock, you lost your phone for a month. Well, one, that's not realistic. (laughs) Two, that's probably going to be a huge consequence for you as well. And three, it's not even logical. It doesn't even apply to the situation in that moment. So just take note of it in your mind. And now I've gotten so good at this. The next time Ava asks me, it's going to be the next day. Like, mom, can I have a hot chocolate? Mom, can I go to a friend's? Mom, can I have some electronic time that's not in the window of electronics because I want to look up something or whatever? What you need to do is with empathy and zero sarcasm. And it's tempting to be like, oh, wouldn't you love to have that? But last night when I asked you to shower and that takes the entire technique and throws it in the garbage. What you have to do is, Eva, I really wish I could give that to you or I really wish I could let you go to your friends. But you haven't been contributing to the household in the way that we ask of you. For example, last night when I asked you to shower by nine and be showered and ready for bed, you weren't. So unfortunately, that's a privilege for kids who are abiding by the rules or being respectful of our requests. And when she throws a fit, just empathy all the way. Just like if she's like, mom, come on. I'm like, this sucks. Like, I don't want to do this. I hate that you're experiencing this consequence right now. I would love you to go to your friend Karina's house. But unfortunately, you did not follow the instructions last night. And so right away, because you apply empathy, they go inward. And it happens really quickly. Like the first few, you might get a fit or two. If the fit gets too big, then I'll just be like, okay, Eva, I'm going to take note of this behavior and probably you'll get another consequence. And then they'll dial it down because they've already seen like, whoa, mom's sticking to her guns here. Like I'm going to get another one. I don't want another one. So, I mean, that's kind of an example and it doesn't have to be exactly perfectly logical, but it has to be unemotional and it has to be empathetic and it has to be something they want. Mm, Okay. So (laughs) I'm thinking of so many things. So I tend to be a yeller. My mom was a yeller and I used to feel so much shame around that. And my kids reminded me of that. At least one of my kids would say, well, you just screamed at us so much when we were kids, you know, and I had so much guilt and shame about it that it affected my parenting, to be honest. So I wouldn't recommend screaming at your kids all the time because one, it doesn't feel good to them. Two, it doesn't feel good to you, as you said. That's not who you really are. It's a way of being that does not raise everybody to their highest self on any level. However, sometimes it happens. Did you find in the beginning of implementing love and logic? Because I'm like picturing, and I'm wondering if some of the other moms listening are picturing, okay, that sounds great, but what was it like the first five times you tried it? Like, I would imagine with one of my kids, he would push back and it would be 
not a pleasant experience at first? Like what advice do you have for like pushing through that initial, just like with anything, right? A new way of eating. Anytime we try something new, it's going to be weird and uncomfortable and have some pushback. Yeah, that's such a good point. And in the beginning, it really does. And they really do want to get back to what they were before because change is uncomfortable for everybody. And so, like I said, the first time they're probably like, it depends their age. You're dealing with teenagers, they'll throw a fit in a totally different way than like a toddler will. And there's different books. You can get the toddler version, the regular version, or the teenage version. I read the regular version and probably could apply it to both. Although I feel like I do need to read the teenage version now that my kids are coming out of their preteen years. But basically, you have to just stick, hold to your guns and just continue to apply empathy. So there's a statement in the book that they teach you that's like, I just, I love you too much to fight like this. And it almost folds them in half mm. because you're meeting them with love and kindness and you're not their enemy. You're on their team. A love and logic parent is literally cheering for their child. When we have to apply consequences, it is so obviously against what we would prefer to do that eventually the kid knows that. But in the very first few times, like I said, you'll have to probably be like, look, I don't want to take note of this behavior as well. I totally get it. And then give them a story of when you've had a consequence for your own behavior. For example, like I told Ava right away, I'm like, I remember one time I talked back to a boss and I lost my job. You know, like that's a drastic example, but it was awful. And I remember being like, oh my gosh, I wish I could take that back. That, and it was out of my control. Like I experienced the consequence. Or if you don't have something that big, it doesn't have to be. Like one time I lipped off a friend at school and I lost that friendship for a while. And she didn't talk to me for two or three weeks. Just giving them times where you were human and you experienced consequences, applying empathy. And then sometimes you'll have to take two or three different notes of their behavior. When I first did it with Lincoln, he was like flopping around. Like he was younger. He was probably eight when I started this. And I just had to be like, Lincoln, I'm going to take note again. And then I did. So he had two consequences to deal with. So he had gotten the original one, which he knew about. And the second one I didn't give to him right then because his lid was flipped. Like his right, wrong, good, bad, his limbic brain was off kilter. When they're having a fit like that and they're mouthing off or talking back to you, they're not there anyways. So I just said, okay, Lincoln, like I see that you're struggling with this and I'm taking note and I don't want you to get in more trouble. Why don't you go to your room, experience these emotions We'll talk about it later. And when he calmed down, I'm like, I'm so sorry, honey, but like now this is your consequence. And that's tough. And I hate it. And that was it. It only took maybe, I honestly can only remember one time when they really pushed back. Oh my gosh. Okay. So when you were talking, something came to me and that was, I could see me at least with my history, my background, my history of codependency and all that. And I know there are listeners who can relate to this. When we get to the part of okay, Ava, you know, I really don't want this to happen. I could go into a, I'm really sorry. (laughs) I really don't want to do this. And like this wimpy, low vibe, enabling, codependent, like I could totally see myself getting into that. Can you see how people could do that? Totally. So maybe explain like the difference between that and the firm way you just said it was still very loving. It was empathy without the enabling. Like I can even feel it right now as we're talking that I can be super harsh and strict or I can be very enabling. I'm very either or. Yeah, I totally get that. I think that having a plan and knowing that you're doing it for them, for me, every time I'm feeling bad, I'm like some of the, oh man, Jill, some of the consequences break my heart. Like it will be something big that they've been looking forward to for a while. And they are just so unacceptable that if I gave it to them, then I know they're climbing into that vehicle with a drunk driver later on in their life. Like seriously, that's what I think. I'll just say to them, I'm like, Lincoln, like, oh my gosh, 
my heart is broken. Like this is the last thing I wanted to take away from you. Truly, truly. I'm so sorry you're experiencing this. And I'm so sorry that your behavior led to this. And if there's anything I can do, I know you're frustrated. You might be frustrated with me. And I just like engage all the empathy. But like in my mind, there's no way out. Like there's no, he's not going to convince me. So I feel like that's where my codependency would come up if I was shaky on whether I was going to execute or not. Whereas I know for sure this is happening. So now I'm not the one even giving the consequence anymore. Like Lincoln chose it through his own behavior. And that's how I pull myself out of it where I'm like, oh no, like he chose this. Someone else is the bad guy. It's not even me. Like it isn't because he knows he chose it. And that's the coolest thing when you start doing love and logic is watching kids be like, like they just like put their head down and they're like, Darren, like, why did I pick this? Why did I do that? This is brilliant. Yeah. And they immediately blame themselves. Like the more you use this, so it doesn't really like flare up your codependency later on in the game. So those first few times, you might just have to white knuckle through it and just be like, no, this is the consequence. I feel bad for them, though I'm not sorry to be executing this because this is for their benefit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the two takeaways for me that are going to help me are one, remember that they're choosing the consequence, not you. They could have avoided this. And two, thinking of them 10 years down the line having a really, really serious consequence that could be avoided if you would just implement this little consequence. That's very helpful to me. And it's interesting. I don't know if you find that other parents are like this, but if I'm going to out myself, I raised my kids in a very militant way. I was a perfectionist. They had no wiggle room. And I I hate that, but it is what it is, right? It was the old me for many reasons. And I was trying to control everything because I couldn't control how I felt inside. I couldn't control my marriage. I couldn't control my husband's addiction. So I know that I just had this like, death grip on them, this iron fist. And if they were sitting here, they would go, yeah, yeah. And and I want to say, I want to make sure I don't offend any of my Jewish listeners when I say this, but because I get that this word can be very triggering, but I want to be transparent and say that one of my kids had me in her phone as Hitler because I was so, so strict and so like, you can't fuck up. You can't, there's no room. I thought that was good parenting because I had nobody watching me when I was a kid. I had nobody observing me. No one even knew that I was, Michelle, my parents, and God love them. They were doing the best they could. I'm very close to them to this day. But I'm not kidding when I say that I had one parent come to one of my sporting events in my entire life. And that parent, I won't say which one it was, laughed at me and said, oh yeah, you were doing so well. And then you weren't, you know, like they didn't even know that I was on the swim team. I signed myself up. I got myself there. And one day, one of my parents said, where are you going? I'm going to swim practice. Oh, you're on the swim team? Yep. And I would sit there and watch every other kid have their parents cheering for them, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's another reason that I tended to be overcompensate with with my parenting. But enough about me. When we look at our parenting, I do think a lot of women can relate to the extremes. We picture every mom as being a better mom than us. Of course, that's all our mom guilt, right? Every mom's doing it better than us. Every mom is, you know, making better snacks and feeding their kids better and giving them a better advice, blah, blah, blah. But then when we get over that, I think a lot of us don't realize that our own personality is coming out in our parenting. The whole extreme. I'm extreme in my parenting because I'm extreme myself. I have either ors with my parenting because that's how I am with myself. I am hot and cold with them because I'm hot and cold with me. And so I recently in my late, late 40s with kids, you know, 16 to 22, really look at, looked at myself and looked at the parenting and realized, oh my gosh, it's just, it's like the embodiment of me. 
how I'm showing up as a parent. So I could beat myself up right now and I actually want to as I'm hearing you talk. So I'm like, you told me about love and logic like three years ago or four years ago and I never did it. But I will say that I did hear a few things that you said because you've done online trainings before and I've tried it on without really knowing what I'm doing and I can tell everyone listening, it really is a magical experience because I I haven't done it, done it. But I remember saying to one of my kids, listen, here's the deal. If you're upset you can go look in the mirror because you chose this consequence. I told you ahead of time. Now, I didn't do it in a kind of empathic way like I should have. I'm still learning. But anyway, I'm so glad you're sharing this today because I think we're going to get a lot of of people listening who are going to say, oh my gosh, I needed to hear that. How do I get that book? How do I learn? Before we wrap up, will you share how has this impacted your marriage? You said that even you're different. How are you different because of the way you are parenting? Oh man, truly this technique is so powerful that, so we're a blended family, as I said. And so my stepkids, Kelly's boys have gone to their mom and said, mom, can you please buy love and logic? It works really well for us. And honestly have sold the book to other people for us. Like they'll, we'll be talking about, you know, just parenting and my kids will come in and be like, oh yeah, you guys should read love and logic because their life has become so much more grounded and calm. They know what to expect. They know that I don't yell anymore. I used to be a spanker. I was because I was spanked as a kid. And so I never really knew anything else, you know, like, oh, when you get scared or you lose control, you just give them a swat on the butt. And when I met Kelly, he wasn't a spanker. He had never, ever spanked his children, which, you know, it's scary to even talk about because nowadays, gosh, like it's like a big no-no or whatever. I still feel like people do it, but it's just not as talked about or accepted. And I remember I had lost control with Lincoln and I whacked him like with the back of my hand on his stomach and he started to cry right away. It's so insulting to get swatted. I've done it too, Michelle. A lot of people have done it. Yeah. And I remember Kelly's oldest went, is that what a spanking looks like? And I stood there and I just had this like, oh my God, how you do anything is how you do everything. Like you said, like you show up as who you are in parenting. And I was just like, holy crap, something needs to change. My go-to is not working. It's not respectful to my son. If anyone else ever treated him that way, particularly his wife, I couldn't bear it. I need to do something different. And that was when I broke down and was like, okay, it's time to read this book. But in terms of marriage, it's funny you brought that up because so my husband and I, we will struggle during my PMS like period part of the month every month. Every single month when my hormones get low and my ability to navigate or be patient is taken away from me by low estrogen, we don't do well. And it's like this this cycle of insanity, like doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And we end up inevitably being in some sort of fight, always something different, but always the same problem where we're not communicating. And so because I have zero hormones too, like my tongue is sharper, I'm not behaving the way that I need to be behaving to keep the peace and nor is he. 50-50, like it takes both. It actually should be 100%, 100% with both partners. However, what I was going to say about love and logic is I finally realized, like I said to him this month, we cannot continue to do this. It's been five years of 12 months of this same reality for 10 days of the month. Like that's a third of our lives where we're not in our highest vibration and not treating each other with the same kindness and respect. And here's what I'm willing to accept responsibility for. So I found out about seed cycling and I'm going to start going to bed earlier because I really believe that those two things will help me navigate my hormones more. But I asked him and I said, look, I'm not saying it's your fault. 
However, your, your reaction to me is your fault, period. What if you tried some love and logic with me? Can you, when I'm picking or cranky, instead of being like, what he does is he goes into this trigger of that's disrespect and I will not stand for it. And then he puffs up. Well, try to do that to a woman who's got zero estrogen. Like it's just an absolute recipe for disaster. So I said, can you come to me and say like, I can see that you're trying to start a fight and I love you too much to fight you right now. I will melt. You just might make out with them right then. (laughs) I like have tears in my eyes thinking about it, right? Like it will just, and he's like, that's, he was mad when I said it. He's like, you want me to come to you with empathy and love and kindness when you're being terrible. And I said, yes. We have to try something different because what we're doing, expecting different results is not working for us. So why not try love and logic with me? And he's like, okay, I'll try it. We'll see how that goes. And then the other one I said is, can you just, if I'm cranky or miserable, and even if it's directed at you, like the odd time, just give me a hug, like hold my arms down and just come and hug me and be like, I know this is a tough time for you. I know this part of the month is terrible for you. And that sucks. Oh, I cannot imagine if my (laughs) husband had done that. Right? Like I have tears in my eyes right now, but that's what I do for my children. When their lid is flipped and they're being terrible and they're screaming and yelling now because of love and logic, I know that's not what they want to be doing. I know that's not their true personality. And I will go give them a hug and be like, holy cow, you're having a tough day. Later, they'll get a consequence and a boundary if they've disrespected me. So it's not like I'm just letting them off the hook. But in that moment, I nurture them. And it changed everything for us. Instead of me assuming they're disrespecting, I'm assuming that they're having a hard day and they're not representing who they are. Oh, so good. So I'll keep you posted, Jill, because like this was our lot, like we just came out of it and we just came up with, this is what Kelly's going to try and this is what I'm going to try. But love and logic truly does work on adults. It works in marriages. It works with employers. It's just giving people the benefit of the doubt with boundaries and consequences. So mm. that I feel is how it's going to impact our marriage. Oh, yeah. And 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 you and I know this um, from the personal development we've done and the work we've done together and our friendship that when you said how you do one thing is how you do everything, that's normal for our language. But a lot of people listening, they actually don't speak that way or think that way. And so I want to say it again, how we do one thing is how we do everything. So when you fix yourself, even though we don't need fixing, when you improve yourself in one area of your life, everything improves in your life. When you address something in one area of your life, that thing is addressed in every area of your life, even if you don't know that it's affecting every area of your life. So I can see why it's going to help your marriage. And I bet you, although you're still struggle for that brief period every month because of a hormonal change, I'm sure it's affected your relationship immensely though, just because of the respect I'm assuming he has had for the transformation you've experienced with your kids, which makes for a happier home. Whether blended or not, if you have one parent yelling at even one or two kids consistently, that causes so much stress and tension for the entire family. I bet the whole family, if they were sitting here right now, would say, it's been a blessing to every part of our family, every member of our family. It really has been. Kelly, as much as I say he uses love and logic more naturally, still though, he was still like at the end of his leash or rope or whatever, he would still yell. And oftentimes he would run to me and be like in a flap, like mad through the roof mad and be like, what am I supposed to do? What does love and logic say? And finally, I'm like, it's time for you to read the book. Like, because he saw that my life was made so easy and he was still flapping around and having fits about things kids not cleaning up their mess or whatever. He's really OCD about cleaning. So it really like, as soon as he saw me having this wonderful, calm parenting experience, 
that's when he bought the book. And I, and I was like, what's this? And he got it off Amazon and he, it took him a while to pick through it. But now he's a complete love and logic parent. And life is so much easier for him because he didn't want to come running to me in a flap all the time being like, what do they say? What do I do? Like, And now he's got the skills and tools himself. And now we just have to figure out how to apply them to each other. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's going to read this book. I really am. That's my promise to myself and to everyone listening. I'm going to read the book and I'm going to apply it for myself as much as for anyone because we only have one, I would say, kid left in the house. We have the rest of the kids are all going to be adults as of February, believe it or not. Thomas is turning 18. And so Thomas and the rest of them are adults, even if they're still in the home. And George, who just turned 16, is our only child who's left. And we have a window here with him. And he's the one I tend to be really easy on. And I can give you a million reasons why. My husband has pointed that out. The other kids have pointed it out. And I act as if I don't know that. But I know I'm easier on him because I can justify it. If I told you the whole story, you'd go, oh, that makes sense. On a soul level, there's a reason I'm different with him. However, it's not good for him. It's not good for him. And I'm seeing as he's getting older, I'm seeing the pushback that I used to brag about that we never got. I mean, George was the quote, perfect kid. There isn't a perfect kid except for George. Like, I wouldn't really say that, but everyone around us would say, seriously, so well-behaved, so respectful, so gracious, so empathic, so kind, everything you want, it's George. Well, now he's 16 and he's dealing with some really serious stuff because of the pain of having a father who's an addict and the impact it's had on him. And so it's interesting. I didn't think we would talk about this, but I'll just close with this. I'll share with you that that struggle that he's going through has become a way for me to enable other behavior because he's struggling so much and he's been hurting and so really broken over what he's experiencing with his biological father. I have been easier on him when I already was easier on him than everyone else. I didn't really need to discipline him because he was such an easy kid until I needed to. And then I'm like, oh. So uh, it's interesting as parents. It's like, you'll see, I don't know if this will happen with you, Michelle, but as you get to your youngest, you kind of hang on. And it's like, well, maybe I don't want to discipline them. I want them to be mad at me. When I used to laugh at that kind of parenting, remember I was the drill sergeant and now I'm, it's just so funny. All of this is so interesting. So we had an episode on mom guilt. We had another episode with a psychologist in the past talking about big T and little t trauma and how it affects us. And we went into a conversation in there about parenting. We had an episode on head trash. So we talked about like the stories and the limiting beliefs that affect us. And we went into parenting a little bit. Today has been such a delight because I know I want to have you on another time because there's so many other things we could be talking about because you're just so amazing and powerful and so knowledgeable. And I just am so grateful to have someone like you in my life. You you know this, that you've been such a light to me. And I have learned so much from you and you've exposed me to new ways of looking at everything from spirituality to just life in general. And so this conversation has been a total blessing. And as we finish, I didn't tell you I was going to say this, and I actually don't say this with everyone, but what would you say to everyone off topic of love and logic, off topic of parenting, What would you say about the whole concept of being you? Because I, one thing I admire about you, Michelle, Michelle's much younger than me and she got it way earlier than I did. She is always looking inward and striving to be a better version of herself. But I will say Michelle has been herself for quite a while. Wouldn't you agree, Michelle? What would you say about that? Just that idea 
of us giving each other permission and ourselves permission to truly be us? Like, what does that mean to you? And what does that look like? Oh, goodness. I feel that unfortunately in life, nobody ever decides to grow because life is good. You know, it's not like, oh, I woke up one day, my life is so good and so easy and so perfect. I just feel like becoming a better version of myself. (laughs) So no, that never happens when we hit our knees in pain because of the way that we have been showing up and we have no further options is when we grow. It's like a forced thing. So I was married to an alcoholic and I did not know what to do. And I ended up in the rooms of Al-Anon actually. And I feel like that was probably 12 years ago. And I will gift all of my personal development since. Like I will give credit to Al-Anon for starting it all because I went into those rooms and I thought they were going to tell me how to get him to stop drinking. And instead they were like, oh, sweet girl, we're going to teach you how to be happy regardless of what other people are choosing in your life. And essentially what they were saying is we're going to teach you how to be you. You can be you no matter what anyone else is choosing, no matter what suffering they're going through. You don't have to rescue anyone or control anyone or save anyone. You got to just be you with your unique gifts and talents. And so that just began like a roller coaster or yeah, I guess it is a roller coaster personal growth of facing the goods and the bads of me. One thing I will really say is, yes, I'm me, but I have a black wolf and I have a white wolf. Everyone does. There's darker sides to my personality, even though you might be listening to this and think, oh, she's got it all together. She's grown. She's amazing. She's been herself for 15 years. Everybody has a dark and a light side. And you have to accept that dark passenger as part of who you are, just as much as the light side that everybody else loves to see. Just don't feed it that much. Don't feed the black wolf because that one is greed and anger and jealousy and it won't get you to where you want to be in life. However, don't turn it out and kick it out and hate yourself for it either. I would say that's my biggest piece of advice is like feed the white wolf, go to bed early, make good choices, eat well, feeding that white wolf through love and compassion and kindness. But don't don't kick out that poor black wolf either, if that makes sense. I don't know if I can get any more clear. It's actually an, it's an old indigenous story that's always really resonated with me. Because so oftentimes we want to present this perfect version of ourselves. Like, this is me. Look how perfect I am. When really that's just casting the shadow out. And everyone has a shadow side or else you couldn't appreciate the lightness in yourself either. Oh, so beautiful. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, for being with us today. I can't wait to have you back on. And I know you have so much going on outside of Parenting with Love and Logic. You have a multi-million dollar business. You have a huge community. And I know that you do lots of powerful free shares online. I've seen many of them, educational trainings. So how can people find you if they want to connect with you? Yeah, actually, Jill, they can find me on Instagram. So michelle.rogers underscore. And then on Facebook, Michelle Rogers. And I love doing Love and Logic posts. Honestly, every time something comes up and I'm like, oh, I dealt with that with Love and Logic, I'll pop in and do a live or you know, put a post about it in my story or whatever. Because I feel like the more examples we can give, the more people either will read the book or will activate the technique and start doing it in their homes. And, and it really is a better way. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me on BU. I know there was something in this episode you were meant to hear. So let me know in a DM on Instagram at jillhermanbu. Be sure to subscribe to the BU Podcast. And if you have iTunes, I would so appreciate you rating the podcast and leaving a comment with your biggest aha or takeaway. 
Sharing a screenshot of this episode on your story is the best way for us to reach women just like you. And if you send a link to a friend, let her know what unique quality she has that the world needs more of. If this is your first visit, welcome to our BU Collective, where we get honest about what it takes to find our true self so we can set her free and start living.